The basis of our study material, as we have been doing and will continue to do, is the, uh, the Sabbath School Quarterlies produced by the Worldwide Seventh-day Adventist Church. And uh, during our time together, each day, each lesson, uh, we'll bring fresh biblical insights, and we trust uh, it'll enlarge your understanding of God's Word and lead you closer to Jesus. Uh, this is really um, a new day for us, isn't it? Uh, we're going it alone, and uh, well, I shouldn't say going it alone. Look at look at this. Uh, the congregations here. God is with us. He's led us to this point, and uh, it's just so exciting to uh, to continue to share God's word locally and uh, to our online viewers. We're certainly glad you're joining us, and all those who'll be joining us are tuning in from wherever you find yourself. We're glad that you're here. Um, because we want uh, folk to benefit from the studies, uh, as usual, we're going to be continuing to share our CDs and our DVDs, and you, can, and you know where to get them. Our uh, local congregation knows where to pick these up, but for those of you who are watching, uh, you may not know how to get these, and so we want to invite you to uh, go ahead and call in to 916-457-6511, or you can go to saccentral.org, and you can ask for order number 21440, and that's how you pick up your copy of today's lesson, either on CD or on DVD. And we want to encourage you to provide your, uh, your email address, your f full name and a phone number, contact phone number perhaps, at least an email address and we'll send it out to you right away. All right. Uh, also, just for, um, just for your interest, and we've talked about this, uh, we talked about this last week a little bit, we, uh, we're seeking a little bit more involvement from our local congregation and also our online and uh, viewing audience. And so if you have a question that you would like to ask during uh, Central Study Hour, or you'd like to make a comment based upon a particular day of the week on that particular week's lesson, uh, all you need to do is you need to uh, email CSH, that's the abbreviation for Central Study Hour, CSH at saccentral.org. And uh, we'll take your question or your comment, and if, uh, if it's good enough, if it's, uh, if it's on target, if it's right there with uh, the lesson that we're studying, uh, we'll get in contact with them. By the way, you need to send that in the Thursday night at 8 p.m. at the latest, and we'll be in touch with you on Friday to let you know. And uh, for our local um, congregation, if, you, uh, if you're chosen, we'll get in touch with you on Friday and our online viewers. Uh, we'll ask you to meet us in the back at a particular time and uh, get you prepped so you can ask your question or make your comment pertaining to that particular lesson. We're going to start that way to begin with, and maybe we'll take uh, some, uh, some impromptu questions or comments along the way as well. I don't know if I'm going to get that brave, but we'll see how we go. Um, and also, we welcome uh, any, com any feedback on the programming, especially those who are viewing us, um, and uh, let us know where you're tuning in from and viewing us from. We'd love to hear from you for sure. Well, we're going to go right into our study and uh, we're going to be delving into our new, um, our new quarterly lesson, and we're going to be studying the book of James. And I uh, hope you've got your lesson. Trust you've been uh, thumbing through it, opening your Bible during this week to look at the lesson and, um, and uh, are ready to be engaged here and, and look at this exciting study. Um, before we get to the book of James, and, and you might as well open there, you're welcome to do so. Before we get into the actual content of the book of James, um, we want to be asking those five W's, the five W's 
uh, the who, the what, the why, and the when. It was Thomas Wilson that wrote, who, what, and where, by what help, and by whose, why, how, and when do many things disclose? The five whys. And they were memorialized by Rudyard Kipling in his Just So Stories in which a poem accompanying the tale of The Elephant's Child opens and he wrote this little poem. I keep six honest serving men, they taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. (laughs) That's right. So it's come to be known as the Kipling method. And so we're going to be asking some of those questions here during this lesson to find out who the, uh, well, I don't want to say who the author of the book of James is. We know who the author of the book of James is, but we want to know who James was and uh, who was he writing to and for what purpose and intention. And we're going to look at that here in today's lesson. And then uh, the following preceding weeks, we're going to delve right into uh, the content of the book of James. Um, And so we want to be informed about who the author is, give us some background, and uh, by doing so, we'll just shed a little bit bit of light on the content of the book of James. All right, so we want to, uh, we're going to go over to Sunday's lesson here and uh, take a look here at, uh, at James, the brother of Jesus. And uh, if you have your Bible too, turn with me to James 1 and verse 1 and notice how the book of James opens. It's very simple and yet it is rich and uh, we'll seek to unpack this here. It says in James chapter 1 and verse 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So a very succinct opening and introduction. He reveals, the author of the book reveals himself as James, a fellow servant or bond servant of God and Jesus Christ. And he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Uh, now, James, James's name is in the Greek, Iakobos. Iakobos is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Jacob which was a very familiar and common name uh, in, uh, in first century Judaism. Now, there are many references in the, uh, in the New Testament to uh, men named James. Uh, as a matter of fact, I went ahead and counted them, and there are 40 references to James. Now, there's not 40 different Jameses, but there are uh, some are the same, some are not. And uh, two of those are disciples. We know that. Who were, who were they? James was the brother of... John, that's right. That's that's one of them. The sons of do you remember? Sons of well, the sons of Zebedee, but they're also known as the sons of thunder. That's right. So you've got James and John, and then you've also got James, who's the son of Alphaeus. And uh, so you've got two disciples that were named James. Also, a father of one of the disciples, that is Judas, not Iscariot, but Judas, his name was James. So a father of one of the disciples' name was James as well. And you can read that in Luke chapter 6 and verse 16. Now, it's reasonable to suppose the author of James is one of these, or one of these James is already mentioned in the Bible. And... Um, and that's pretty obvious because when you read, and we just read James 1.1, 1, 1, he just comes right out and says, James, a servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is to hit the audience, they knew, they would know who was writing. He doesn't say, I'm James and I was, I'm, the fa- I'm the son of or I'm associated with and I work here and this is my background. He just said, hey, this is James speaking to you. Uh, and so 
uh, in this congregation, if, I wrote, if a letter came out to you and said, hey, this is, uh, this is from Chris, uh, a servant of God, and um, well, if it had the letterhead of Central on it, you would know it'd be coming from one of your pastors. Now, if I said, if, if, if a letter came to you and the name was Mike, now you might be a little, might be a little tricky. We've got now two Michaels here uh, pastoring the church. Um, but here it is, James, there it is, James, I'm James. So it's assumed that the audience knew who, uh, who was writing this particular letter. Of James, a fellow bond servant. Now, it can't be the brother of John um, because he died around A.D. 44, and this letter was written a little bit after that from what scholars tell us. Um, James, there was only one prominent James that existed in the church at the time of the writing of this particular book. So we know it's not James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee or the sons of Thunder. Um, another James is mentioned, and he's the first mentioned brother of Jesus. And uh, let's take a look at that in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55. We'll just jump over there. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55 and notice what it says. Matthew 13:55. It tells us, is not the carpenter's is this not the carpenter's son talking about Jesus? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, notice James, Joseph, Simeon, Simon, uh, Simon, and Judas. And so one of the brothers of Jesus was named James. And you can also reference that in Mark chapter 6 and verse 3. Paul also mentions that he saw this James in Jerusalem after he'd returned after his conversion. And you can read that in Galatians 1.19, which we'll get to shortly. Now, elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, mention is made of a leader in the church by the name of James. And he comes to prominence right after the death of John's brother, James. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 12 and verse 1, where it says that Herod uh, sent out men and they slew James with the sword. If you jump down to verse 17, a, another James is introduced and it seems as though he's a leader of the church. And so that's uh, right away we know that uh, certainly this James who wrote this book isn't. The, uh, the brother of John, and we've mentioned that already. So no other James has been so prominent. Subsequent references are made of this James. One is significant in that it shows that James, this James is very likely James, who's, uh, James whose brother was Jesus. Now I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Take a look at this with me. Galatians 2, and uh, we'll get some folk reading some scriptures here and asking some questions in a bit. Galatians 2. And we're looking at verse 9. Galatians 2 verse 9, it says, And when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, and that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to be, or to the circumcised. And so here you have James, who is one of the pillars, along with Peter, and along with um, John. All right, so we're in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9, and we're going to go to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 19. And notice Paul, uh, Paul is writing about the James. He introduces this James at the beginning of his letter, and then in chapter 2, he talks about him again. Notice Galatians chapter 1, and we're looking at verse 19. It says, but I saw 
none of the other apostles, and this is referring to Peter, uh, rather Paul, after his conversion experience, he came back to Jerusalem. He says that he saw no other except James, the Lord's who? Brother. Jesus' brother, James. And then in chapter 2, he talks about this leader whose name is James. And so it's very easy to assume that he's referring to the same James. If they were different, he would have probably, very likely, have um, stated uh, that this is actually uh, another James that I'm referring to. If I wrote you a letter, and uh, I'm talking about letters a lot, don't expect any letters from me too soon, but if I wrote you a letter and I was talking about a fellow by the name of James, and then I mentioned him in the first paragraph, and then in the third paragraph of that letter I mentioned James again, you would know that I'm speaking of the same James, and it's the same thing right here. So it's very likely that the James who wrote the book after his own name was the brother of Jesus. James was, in fact, the stepbrother of Jesus. Uh, remember when Jesus was on the cross and he committed the care of his mother to who? Not to James, but to John. That's right. And uh, an indicator that, uh, that the, these, these children, James and, and the other children, were sons of Joseph, very likely from a previous marriage. And so there were stepbrothers. And um, anyone, anyone here have a step? Anyone here have a stepbrother or stepsister, or is a stepbrother or stepsister? If you have one, you, then you are a stepbrother or stepsister. So yeah, yeah. So I'm raising my hand too. I have stepbrothers. I have stepsisters, uh, a stepsister, and I'm a stepbrother. Yeah, that's how it goes. Um, uh, anyone is the youngest stepbrother or stepsister? Hmm. Okay, kind of over here. All right. How did it go for you? It was okay? All right, good. It was okay. James was, it seems he was mentioned first. He seems he would be the oldest of the siblings of Jacob, of, uh, of Joseph rather. And, uh, and then, of course, Jesus came much later on. And we know the story of Jesus. Uh, rumors spread abroad regarding his illegitimate birth. And so you can imagine what the children or the, 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 the stepbrothers and sisters of Jesus would have said about him. Uh, probably, probably wasn't too pretty. As a matter of fact, if you take that book, beautiful book, Desire of Ages, and you read pages 86 to 92, uh, you'll discover, and the, the chapter is entitled The Days of Conflict, and it refers a lot to Jesus' home life and some of the challenges that, some of the biggest challenges he faced as a young boy um, were faced in his home. Uh, his uh, parents, in, and more so his stepbrothers and sister, or sisters, did not understand, appreciate who he was. They thought he was very straight-laced and narrow. He was very obedient. The uh, Joseph's uh, boys uh, uh, seemed to encourage Jesus to follow the rabbinical traditions and teachings, and Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with it except anything that was a thus saith the Lord, he would obey. He would do that. And, um, and so they considered him to be straight-laced and non-compliant to the traditions of the religious leaders, and this annoyed greatly annoyed Jesus' family and his brothers in particular. And so Jesus would often escape, and this is all in Desire of Ages, would often escape just to get away from the, the stress and the tension that was often felt in the home. And uh, so here is James, who's the oldest and probably the perpetrator of some of this nonsense in the home. And, uh, and so he is the brother of, stepbrother of Jesus. 
Um, John chapter 7 tells us that his family tried to push him to the forefront. They were perceiving that there was something very unique about Jesus and perhaps even uh, maybe he would be the Messiah. But at that time, you know that they all had a very different idea of who the Messiah or what the Messiah's mission really was supposed to be. So they tried to push Jesus out into the front to declare who he was and Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with it. So they were very confused and doubtful as well about his mission and his ministry. So this is, this is the James that wrote the book of James. Obviously, there was a transformation that took place from being the oldest stepbrother. Uh, and I don't want to say a bully, but maybe there was some bullying going on. Um, to being a convert and a leader in the Christian church. It's quite amazing. And so what happened to James? We're going to go to Monday's lesson. James the believer, what happened to him? Did he always remain in doubt regarding Jesus' mission? Did he always play the older stepbrother? Um, we're going to have Jolene going to read Acts chapter 1, verse 14 for us here in just a little bit. Jolene's right down here. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, I want to invite us just to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, first of all. And I want you to notice here. James, the older stepbrother, maybe a bully, the one who was annoyed by Jesus' ministry uh, and his life. 1 Corinthians, what happened to him? 1 Corinthians 15, and we're reading verses 5 through 7, first of all. It says, and that, and that he was seen, this is talking of Jesus, his resurrection, and he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And now notice verse 7. After that, he was seen by who? He was seen by James, then by all the apostles. It's very likely, and most commentators agree, that this James is the brother of Jesus. And in a special sense, Jesus appears to him personally and perhaps opens the scriptures like he did when he met with others along the way, after, right after his resurrection, and revealed to him the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning his ministry and his mission to clear up any doubt or any misconception. Now, if you met Jesus face to face, would that change your life? It ought to, yeah, it ought to. Remember the time when Paul uh, met Jesus. Bright light fell off his horse, converted, changed man, just like that. And so James is met by his, uh, or met by his stepbrother, Jesus, the resurrected Lord. You can just imagine and picture what that encounter may have been like. Uh, maybe, maybe there might have been those moments where James was like, okay, Jesus, you remember when I said this and when I said that. Uh, don't bring that up now. And, you know, Jesus very likely didn't. He said, okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commission you. You're going to be one of the leaders of the church. Go feed my, my sheep, just like he said to Peter. Our Lord is very gracious. Okay, Jolene, Acts 1.14. Acts 1.14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. All right, so we're referring here to the upper room experience. And um, Jesus had told his disciples to go back there. There were about 120 there in that upper room. They were coming together, praying together, studying the scriptures together, putting away all types of differences that existed between them. And uh, one of those up there was James. James, the brothers, not only James, but also the other brothers. Isn't that interesting? They were converted, converted individuals, changed men. His brothers were up there in that upper room in one accord, offering prayer and supplication. So James really became thoroughly converted, didn't he? 
thoroughly converted. He experienced genuine repentance. He was no longer the older stepbrother, but he'd become a believer. He'd become a believer, a humble servant. And you notice in James chapter 1, verse 1, James didn't introduce himself as the brother of Jesus. He introduced himself as the, a fellow bondservant, or if you've got the King James Version, servant. He didn't say, hey, I'm the brother. He said, I'm a servant. That is, uh, that's a change right there. You can be the older stepbrother, and you know, you, it's the older, older brothers and older siblings often like to pat their younger brothers and sisters on the head saying, you know, we're the, we're the older ones. I'm kind of the middle child. Am I, anyway, but that's, you know, we, my sister patted me, I patted my brother, so that's kind of how it went. Um, but we, we kind of say, you know, here, we're the older ones. And Jesus, uh, James rather, doesn't introduce himself as being the older stepbrother of Jesus. And I want everyone to know that the man he is is because of me. He says, I'm his fellow servant. That's a, a change of heart and spirit, is it not? That's amazing. So he was converted. He was changed. What else do we know about Jesus? Here's a few things. I'm going to just rattle them off, and you can write down uh, some of the references if you want. In Acts chapter 12 and verse 17, it says, Peter, uh, when Peter was released from prison, he was told to report uh, the activities, those activities to James. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, verse 13 and 19, James presided at or over the Jerusalem council and pronounced a decision. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in just a few moments, that council. In Acts 21, Paul reported to James concerning his missionary endeavors. Was James an important figure in the early Christian church? Oh man, was he ever? Everyone was reporting to him, sharing with him. He was one of the main central leaders. Uh, in, uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, which we read earlier, James gave authority to people, in, in particular Paul and Barnabas, to visit other churches and to uh, be representatives of the church and of Jesus Christ in areas uh, where Gentiles were and to proclaim and preach the gospel. So James uh, conferred authority upon these individuals to visit churches and offered to Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. You've ever heard that phrase before? There it is right there in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. Offered them the right hand of fellowship. They were on par with James and the other disciples. They had as much uh, heavenly authority as God had bestowed upon them, upon Paul and Barnabas. And so he gave them the right hand of fellowship. Go on, go out and share the gospel. And then he's also referred in, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9, he's also referred to as one of the pillars of the early church. And I don't, if you're still in Galatians 9, just take a look at that real quickly. It's interesting. I want you to notice again who's mentioned first and then who's mentioned second. It's interesting. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, And James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me. And so <clears throat> the first person mentioned out of these pillars in the early Christian church was who? James. Sorry, Peter. Uh, there's, a, there's a common and popular teaching that suggests that the a particular church that exists today um, is an extension, and the leaders of that church, the Pope of that church, is the extension of the, uh, of, of the apost Apostle Peter. But it seems as though James was a more prominent leader than Peter. So we, we apologize to Peter at this point, but James is mentioned first, before Cephas or before Peter. <clears throat> Anyway, it's one of, the, one of those uh, texts that, uh, and it's not the only one, but one of those texts that uh, show the, um, the, the, the falsehood or, the, or the, you know, the untruth regarding that the first pope was Peter. It's not, not true at all. 
And it wasn't James either, just in case you're wondering, but it certainly wasn't him either. But these men were pillars of the church, leaders of the church. So certainly, uh, James, not only a converted man, but he was uh, converted to the point where he uh, became um, a very strong pillar in that early Christian church, a persecuted church, a church that was taking off uh, and they needed some good, strong leaders. So despite starting out in doubt and confusion, about Jesus and his mission, James ended up being one of the leaders of the early Christian church. That teaches and tells me that never underestimate what God can do with a person. Sometimes we, uh, you know, we, we get a little hard on, sometimes on ourselves, but we get hard on other people as well. Oh, they'll never measure up, they'll never, never underestimate. Here was James, the stepbrother of Jesus, who doubted the ministry, uh, constantly um, uh, frustrated Jesus as a young boy, and now becomes the leader of the church that Jesus raised up. I mean, amazing story for sure, complete conversion. So never underestimate what God can do in your life and what God can do in a person's life. So we're going over to Tuesday, James and the Gospel. James and the Gospel. All right, we have someone that's going to be reading James chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Avis, thank you very much, right down here. Now, um, it was Martin Luther that called the epistle of James or the letter of James uh, a epistle of straw and James uh, in Luther's mind was a very totally it really totally misunderstood the book of James and the intent in the Leipzig debate of 1519 Roman Catholic scholar Johann Eck used the book of James to challenge Martin's, Martin Luther's teaching of justification by faith alone and he insisted Eck insisted that works be a part of the justification experience as well. In his preface to the book of James in Luther's 1522 German translation, he called the book of James an epistle of straw. (laughs) Luther's contemporary and closest associate Melanchthon believed the writings of Paul and the writings of James did not conflict. They were harmonious, uh, you see. uh, uh, But the Reformation would continue on. Even though Luther didn't fully understand all there was to understand from the scriptures, God used him to bring forth a lot of light, did he not? Brought, brought out a lot of light. And, um, and, uh, and then you had the, the Great Awakening, George Whitfield and uh, the Wesley brothers, great revivals that took place across uh, Europe and around the world. Uh, not only was justification by faith taught, but also sanctification by faith. And um, so the truth continued to, to, to take off and to grow and to, um, and to well, basically for the, for the light to continue to go on. Then there was the second awakening. Um, and some of us know that here as the Millerite movement. And not, it was not just the Millerite movement, that was the movement here in the US, but there were individuals in uh, North Africa and Europe and South America that were proclaiming the same message as Martin Luther was here, a Baptist farmer here in the United States. And so the Reformation continued, and it continues on even to this day, where God says he will have a remnant and has a remnant that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus and the faith of Jesus Christ. And uh, what a privilege it is to be a part of that remnant as God's truth continues to be heralded to the wo- around the world in preparation for that great event when Jesus returns. And so what did, Jesus, what did James, in fact, teach regarding faith? What did he teach? In James chapter 1 and verse 3, and we're going to get to you in just a second, Avis, and I think we've got a couple of questions on, a, on, a, uh, on this verse as well that you're going to be reading. So James chapter 1, just keep your finger there in James, James chapter 1 and verse 3, what did James teach? 
he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. Testing of your faith produces patience. So um, James taught that faith endures temptation. Isn't that right? James endures temptation and James endures temptation. Well, I'm sure he did, but faith endures temptation. And also faith would be tried. Your faith would be tried. This is not some abstract thing that just exists in your, in your head. This is a, a, an, it seems like even from this verse that faith is more than just a mental assent, but a life experience. And then over in James chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? And so according to James, faith overcomes obstacles and faith also um, uh, sees uh, the future and eternal realities. Doesn't live necessarily in the present, although, uh, although um, helping out and making a positive influence in, in their lives now, but also looking forward to the time when the kingdom of God would come. And so that's faith. And then James chapter 2 and verse 22 and 23, Avis James chapter, chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Seest thou has, how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, with, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Okay, thank you very much. Now, I know uh, Richard Anger, where is Richard here? Richard's got a question related to this particular verse that he's going to ask for us in just a moment. Just to give you some context here, James is writing about whom? Abraham. And what particular event is he referring to here in James chapter 2? He's referring to the sacrifice of Isaac, Abraham's son. All right. And that's what it says in verse 21. It says, What was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? And that verse has caused a lot of challenges in people's minds. I thought we were justified by faith. And this was Luther's problem as well. And, um, well, it's just a very interesting, very interesting verse. And then he goes on to say, Do you, do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect. Is, is faith removed from the equation? No. As a matter of fact, the scripture was fulfilled, and this is quoting Genesis, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Are we ready for the question? We're good for the question? Okay, so uh, Richard, ask your question. Make sure it's not too hard. In, in that verse 22 in James, where James says that faith is filled with his works and by works was made perfect in light of what he said in verse 17. Mm -hmm. Is James indicating that works comes before faith, that you gain faith through your works, or is he saying something else? Okay. No, no. Um, faith always precedes uh, works. Genuine faith precedes works. Uh, the apple, or at least the... Uh, the horse is before the cart on this one. It seems as though the, it's the other way around, but it's certainly not. Let me ask this question. What comes first, the root or the fruit? Did someone say fruit? Hang on a second. Oh, no, okay, I'm hearing it. Okay, it's root. Yeah, so, yeah, so always the root comes before the fruit. When that seed germinates, what goes, something goes down first, the roots, and then you've got the that stem that shoots up through the ground and then it grows. The, 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 the flavor of the fruit 
the amount of fruit, um, the quality of the tree and the, the brilliance of the leaves is dependent upon the health of the roots. That's right. So the roots always precede the fruits. And, um, and so what James is saying here is, uh, as, as you have genuine faith, like roots, it's going to produce fruits or good works, you see. And, um, and the works testify to the fact that the faith is, works testify to the fact that your faith is genuine. And that's one of the things that James talks about over and over again, and we'll have a lesson on this, faith and works. Uh, if you don't have works, your faith is dead. Yeah. So we, I mean, technically, and I don't want to be misunderstood here, but technically we are saved by faith, by a faith that works. Yes, we're saved by faith alone, don't get me wrong, but it's a faith that works. Genuine faith always leads a person to obedience and doing the will of God. All right. Um, there was another question. There's another question related to this particular day with regard to James and the gospel. Um, David has that question. Do you have that question, David? All right. So down here. So remember that genuine faith, genuine faith carries certain recognizable credentials. And you go to the store today, and it depends on which store, but you flash your, uh, uh, your credit card. What are they going to ask you for? Your ID. That's right. Uh, you, you, you've got to prove that you are who you, who you say you are. You've got to give evidence of that, and that is your driver's license. You can't carry your mother or father into the store everywhere you go. Tell them that you gave birth to me. I'm your son. So here you've got your license, and you, you, give, uh, you give recognizable your recognizable credentials, or in this case, a photo ID, validating who you are. This is really me. Faith. I can say I'm a Christian, but does that make me a Christian? No. A Christian is a Christian because a Christian lives as a Christian and is following the pattern of Jesus. I mean, we make mistakes along the way. Thank God for his grace that forgives and enables us to become more like Jesus. Amen. But um, we need to recognize that works is evidence of a genuine faith that resides in the believer. Works doesn't save us, and, uh, but we can't be saved without obedience. So uh, just let that mull around in your head just a little bit and, uh, and see if that settles. All right, David, you had a question. I do. Um, is what we believe more important than how we live that belief? And if so, why or why not? Is what we believe more important than how we live what we believe? And if so, why or why not? Okay. All right. Good question, isn't it? Someone want to hazard a guess at that one? <laughs> Um, look, we know, that, we know that belief is very important, amen? What you believe matters. I've told you uh, many times, if I believed I could fly and jump from this roof, where am I going? I'm going down. What I believe matters. What I ought to know, what I ought to understand is the law of gravity. And if I jump from a, a higher place, I'm going nowhere but down. So we know that belief truly matters. Uh, Jesus talking in the last days in Matthew chapter 24 um, uh, encourages the believers not to be deceived. He mentions it four times in Matthew 24. Don't be deceived. So it's important what we believe and that we, what we believe is the right thing. Um, but it doesn't, believing the right thing doesn't make you right with Jesus. Believing the right thing doesn't make you right with Jesus. Um, it's one thing to give mental assent to, let's say, the Sabbath. And let's, uh, let's talk about that for just a moment. 
I am a Sabbath keeper, but if I am working on the Sabbath uh, and violating the express command of God, what's more important? Am I living that belief or my belief? <laughs> All right, yeah, that's a good question. But yeah, my, my, uh, my actions, the way I live, what type of witness would I be if I said I was a Christian and uh, cursed and swore all the time? Got mad, blew off the handle every, all the time. I mean, what type of witness would that be? Would anyone be convinced that I'm a Christian? No. So, a good question. Very good question. Let's jump over to Wednesday's lesson here. Uh, the, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. All right, James chapter 1 and verse 1. James tells us that he's writing to whom? To the 12 tribes scattered abroad. That's right. 12 tribes scattered abroad. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 tells us that after the stoning of Stephen, there was a great persecution that took place in Jerusalem. And the disciples were scattered. The believers, not just the disciples, but the believers, they were scattered. They went to various parts of uh, the Roman Empire. And over in Acts chapter 11 verse 19, it tells us that the gospel was spread to the Gentiles beginning in Antioch. So the 12 tribes that James is writing to is not necessarily the 12 tribes of literal Israel. Remember, the gospel was to go where? To go all over the place. Um, and so the, the 12 tribes is just simply another way of saying to the believers. Remember, Paul said in, uh, in Galatians chapter 3 and in Romans 2 that it's, you're not a Jew if you're circumcised of the flesh, but you're a Jew if you've been circumcised, of the, if you've been circumcised in the heart. Um, if we, uh, if we, uh, uh, if we, we are, if we are Christ, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so James is writing to the twelve tribes or the of Israel or the people of God who are scattered abroad. Did that include Jews? Yes, it did, and probably at this t time of this writing, because it was only just after a decade after Jesus died, it's very likely mostly Jews. But were there also Gentiles? Certainly. And so uh, the Gentiles are included in this particular, um, in, this, in this statement or in this letter. He's writing this letter to the believers of the then known world or those that were spread throughout the, the Roman Empire. Now, as uh, would have it, when you have get Jews and Gentiles together, that created some room perhaps for some misunderstandings, and that's exactly what ended up happening. Some conflict arose, which was spearheaded by Jewish converts to Christianity, and they asserted that any Gentile that wanted to become a Christian must first become a Jew. <laughs> In essence, they, they said that you males, you need to be circumcised before, uh, before you can be, call yourself a Christian. And, uh, and so there was, uh, th this caused a conflict and a challenge. And a council was formed down there in Jerusalem, and you can read all about this in Acts chapter 15. A council was formed to discuss this particular matter, this particular issue. Should Gentile converts be circumcised before they become Christians? And, um, well, that's what the discussion was in Acts 15, and you're welcome to turn there with me to Acts 15. And if you read the story there, you will notice that not only Peter, but James took a prominent role in that particular discussion. In Acts chapter 15. And um, let's see here. In verse 13, notice it says, After they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. 
And he stood up and he quoted from the book of Amos, talking about how the gospel was to embrace not only just Jews, but also Gentiles. And he offered a biblical solution to a a problem that was existing at that particular time. And you can read the solution in verses, uh, the letter that they sent out to the churches is in verse 23 to 29. But James stood up and he read and he offered a biblical solution. And uh, Paul and Barnabas got up and they started talking about the ministry of, uh, that they'd been, uh, they'd been engaged in amongst the Gentiles. And uh, folk were impressed. And when James got up to speak and he gave a biblical answer to that quandary, um, they all agreed that the Holy Spirit had led in the discussion, in the conclusion. And uh, we won't get into all the particulars of the decision that was made at the Jerusalem Council, but... One thing's very important. God's church should always settle issues and controversies by thus saith the Lord. Amen? Always. Not, by, not through pragmatism. Um, not by uh, certain visible evidences that attest to perhaps the, the Holy Spirit leading. But we must always affirm our beliefs and settle any disputes or conflicts by a thus saith the Lord. Because it reveals to us the truth Uh, reveals to us how we are to operate concerning every practice and aspects of faith. And um, and so we want to make sure that we settle any any challenges locally and as as a worldwide church uh, by uh, the word of God. And we have a big issue coming up here, don't we, in in the next general conference session next year. And uh, the prayer is that the issue will be settled by simply, thus saith the Lord. What does God's word say? What does God's word say? And let's just follow that. Let's forget what culture says. Let's forget what people around us are saying. Let's just follow what God's word says. And let's not be influenced by, um, by uh, what might appear to be popular or in the majority. Let's just do God's word. Amen. Yeah, that's it. All right, so James took a prominent role in helping the believers reach a spirit-led conclusion from the Bible and a scriptural, a scriptural conclusion or solution, preserved the unity of the church. That's the only thing that will preserve unity, and that is the word of God. Now, the early believers were scattered because of persecution. When you think about the Seventh-day Adventist church, and you can travel to different parts of the world, and you find an Adventist church, and, you know, we're we're studying out of the same lesson quarterly. Uh, There's certain things that we, we talk about, and there's a little culture. I mean, we're scattered, but we're one. We're one. Uh... Pastor Doug is in Australia right now, and he sent me a photo, uh, and he's standing right next to my brother-in-law, and uh, didn't realize initially that uh, they were communicating about his trip to Australia, but he's talking with my, my, my wife's brother, who worked with the indigenous people, uh, and still does, in Australia and the Torres, Torres Islands, Torres Strait Islands. And so you can go anywhere in the world. We are one people. What is it that unifies God's people in Christ? Truth. That's right. Truth unifies. John 17, Jesus talks over and over again about uh, uh, Jesus in his prayers, talking over and over again about them being one as you, Father, and I are one. And he tells us in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So what brings unity is sanctification based upon truth, the word of God. Truth, the word of God, changes the believer changes our thinking, changes our behavior, and we are unified upon truth, not, not just feel-good moments. Um, and I, and I'm, I'll be careful, but I think you'll understand me when I say not just love 
for one another. Now, it's, we sure ought to, ought to love one another, but true love comes through sanctification of the truth. And if you don't know the truth, you can't be sanctified by it. It's tr- the truth of God's word, not fables, not untruth that will sanctify you, but the truth of God's word. And that's the unifying factor for God's people. We believe Jesus is coming back again. We believe he died and rose again. We believe he's up there in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary, ministering our behalf, seeking to close up this great plan of salvation so he can come back. Uh, These are unifying truths and they're founded upon uh, thus saith the Lord. Uh, We're we're just a blessed people. You can go anywhere in the world and you can uh, rub shoulders with a fellow Seventh-day Adventist and you'll have a lot in common. I'm not just talking about veggie dogs and Loma Linda Big Franks or anything like that, but but the sanctuary message, the second coming, the Sabbath, the spirit of prophecy, salvation. These things are unifying factors. We belong to a wonderful family. Well, we've got one last day, and that's on Thursday, so let's jump over there. We've got, uh, we've got someone reading Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Is that you, Mike? Fantastic. We're going to do a little back and forward here. So, Matthew, Mike, stay there in, in Matthew, and I'm going to jump over to James. Let's see if we can do a couple of these real quick. Thursday, James and Jesus. Recent studies have shown, interestingly enough, that the longer we are with someone, the more similarities in appearance grow. So another, put, it, put another way, the longer you're with someone, the more you look like them. <laughs> and uh, if you see, I don't know, there's some things floating around on the internet, but you notice uh, animals, uh, owners and the animals. And, and uh, not, not to put people down, but uh, it's just interesting. There ends up being some similarities. Anyway, some stuff floating around. It's, I don't know if it's doctored or not, but it's very interesting. But husbands and wives end up looking a lot alike, or, or in some respects at least. Anyway, that's what studies say, and maybe you've seen that as well. Our spouses rub off on us. That's the, that's the fact. Jesus rubbed off on James in a big way, in so much that the letter reflects most closely the teachings of Jesus. James's letter reflects most closely the teachings of Jesus when he uses imagery from agriculture and finances. And there are a lot of allusions to the Sermon on the Mount, so we'll do a couple of these. Uh, Mike, you've got Matthew 5, verse 3, and then I'll read James 2, verse 5. Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right. And then I'll read James chapter 2 and verse 5, and it says, listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Similarity. Okay, Mike, let's do... 522. Matthew 5, verse 22. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Okay, so Jesus is talking about hasty speech, right? Look at verse 20 of James chapter 1. For the wrath of man does not produce <laughs> the righteousness of God. Um, let's do Matthew 5, 48. Matthew 5, verse 48. Mm-hmm. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And James says in James 1, verse 4, Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking Nothing. All right, let's do a couple more. We've got a little bit more time. Uh, let's just do, let's do James, uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Hmm. All right, and then James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him 
Ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. We could do this for, I think, probably 30 minutes, going back and forward, looking at the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of James, and there are a lot of similarities. Do you think Jesus rubbed off on James? Amen. Let's let Jesus rub off on us. What do you think? Amen. We need to let Jesus rub off on us. The story of James. The story of James is a story of conversion, of a man who was confused and doubting clarity and faith regarding Jesus. It's a story of James who was converted from being a man of unbelief to a man of faith, from being confused to having clarity. And the good news when we read about James is that if we need that change as well, we can experience it through Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.